Okay, good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good to be with you this morning. Five days left. Anybody else panicking? I'm a little panicked. I'm a little nervous. There's, there's, uh, I don't know. It seems, seems like I've, I've gotten so much done, and yet, it seems like there's more to do than when I started. I don't know. The last five days, it's the, it's the, it's the countdown. Um, I hope you'll be with us uh, Thursday night. We'll be right outside four o'clock. We'll, we'll do live on, on video. But uh, if you want to be there, we'd love to have you. We'll have the tents out and, and whatnot. We're gonna have some uh, hot, hot refreshments and, and things to make it a little more bearable. Uh, but come out and be part of it. Candle lighting, it's going to be a great time. And uh, we get to celebrate the ultimate gift of all time, of all Christmas, um, Jesus himself. And that'll be, that'll be our topic. And we'll sing about it and we'll have a great, it's a great way to start off your night um, and then celebrate the rest, uh, however you do with your family. And I hope that um, in, in spite of the challenging times with the virus and everything, I hope there are some traditions that you and your family will be able to continue and enjoy um, regardless of limitations. I just hope that, um, that this is a special season uh, for you and for them. So uh, the first Christmas was special. It was a special season. There were gifts there as well. We've been talking about them, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that the wise men or the, the magi, what they brought and, and gave to Jesus uh, this morning. They, they found him and Mary and uh, and they fell and worshiped. We've been talking about these gifts. Uh, we, we covered gold and frankincense. This morning, we're going we're gonna to cover myrrh, uh, the last one. And, and uh, it's really kind of an interesting one because it's, it's multifaceted. It had a bunch of different uses. We're going to try to cover those uh, this morning and then say, well, why is, why is that important today? And so that's what we're doing this morning. We're going to be looking um, at uh, the Matthew passage that we get the story from. Uh, just briefly, but then we'll be in um, Exodus chapter 30. That's where we're going to end up starting. But before we get going, uh, let's pray, and then we'll move ahead. Lord, thank you uh, for what Christmas represents, and Lord, for what you represent to us, the relationship that we can have with you, with others, and Lord, all the little intricacies, all the details we're so easily distracted, and yet, Lord, somehow you have a way of drawing us back in. Uh, I pray, Lord, that, there are, that you would exercise many of those, draw us back in as many ways as you can throughout the year, Lord, but during Christmas, uh, may, may one of those ways of drawing us in be the reminder of why we're here, why is there and was there a Christmas. Why will there continue to be Christmas? And I pray, Lord, that we would see the value of you, the value of others, and, and really our role, our value as well in all of that. We thank you for this story, for the value these wise men saw. That they put gifts to it in order to accentuate it. And I pray, Lord, that we would see all that's done during this season as, as a way to accentuate who you are, what you did, what you've done, 
and what you're going to continue to do. And so I pray that you'd be with us in this passage this time. May it be holy, consecrated. May it be anointed. And Father, may we be uh, different in better ways for being here, for worshiping you. Pray you would bless it in honor of your Son and through the power of your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Exodus chapter 30 is where we're going to be, but I want to I remind you of, of the, the verse that, that gives us these three gifts, and we'll just read it very quickly. This um, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Um, it, this is the one at the top of your outline if you uploaded it from, uh, from the link on YouTube. Uh, but it says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And uh, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about gold and the, the, the value of gold and that it was for kings. It was used for making crowns and things like that. Uh, we also talked last week about frankincense and the importance of um, what it was used for uh, when it came to worship and when it came to sacrifice and what were the implications that the wise men would give this to Jesus. Um, myrrh, I think, might be the most interesting uh, because it plays out so many different ways um, in their culture. Myrrh was pretty common, not just in Israel, but in a bunch of different places. In fact, we, we see it down in Egypt. We see it in the Middle East. Um, we, we saw it all over the place. It was used for trade. It was used for perfume. It was used for all types of different things. Um, and yet, of all the things that could have been brought and given to Jesus this first Christmas morning, myrrh was one of them. Uh, so although it was common in some ways, it must have been special. It must be special now. Um, for, and, and we want to understand that. And so uh, you do a little bit of looking into myrrh, and myrrh is used uh, all over the Bible. There's a bunch of different places you can find it. But when we get to Exodus chapter 30, we actually referenced this passage last week in, in the proper use of frankincense in the temple. We looked at that last week. Uh, there's, a, there's a very similar passage right next to it that talks about myrrh. And while frankincense was used for sacrifice and worship, myrrh was used for something uh, a little different. Um, so we're going to look at that right now. Let's go, let's go to um, uh, Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. And the Lord said to Moses, uh, Lord is talking to Moses. They've, they've left Egypt, and uh, God's kind of given them the rules of this is how it's going to be from this day forward. You're no longer slaves. From now on, you're going to worship me, and we're going to prove to the world that I exist, and that I take care of my people. Um, here's how you're going to show that you're paying attention. Right? That's, we, we think of rules and Levitical law and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, what are, what's up with all the rules? It's, it, it's really kind of a, just a basic way of us showing God that we're paying attention. Uh, and for them, they had the tent of meeting before they built the sanctuary or, or the temple. Um, and so they had all these different rituals that they would do, and they'd use different things for those rituals. Uh, God is going to explain to Moses, what do you do with myrrh? And he, he says to Moses, he says, take the finest of spices, liquid myrrh, 500 shekels. 
and a sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250 shekels is implied, and 250 of aromatic cane, and then 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of uh, the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. So here's your recipe. What are we making? Good question. And you shall make of these a sacred, and here's our word I want to make sure we get, because we're going to see it at least three times, anointing. You shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. He says, here's how you make, an, uh, it's a very specific oil. In fact, one of the few places in the scripture where we actually get a recipe. He says, not just any oil, it's an anointing oil. Well, what's anointing? Anointing is when you set something apart, uh, generally for God. Uh, you, you know, sometimes you, you, you make some special dish, maybe for a holiday that might be coming up in a few days. I don't know. You make a special dish and you set it aside. Why? Because it's special and you're not going to use it until that special event. Well, that's what they were doing with this oil. Um, he said, put, put myrrh in it. It's the greatest of the ingredients tied with cassia, but it's going to be used for making things holy for making things that or for anointing things that belong to God it's very similar to one of the things we we do we do baby dedications right we do baptisms uh, from time to time and what is that it's kind of like an anointing and we we bring a baby up here and we dedicate them to the Lord what are we asking in fact we just did one a few weeks ago we're saying we want this child to belong to you. We recognize this child belongs to you. When people get baptized, what are they saying? They're immersing themselves. It's not really an anointing, but it's an, it's an anointing thematically in saying, hey, from this day forward, I belong to you. Apparently, God wants us to do that because from the beginning, uh, when he started this you know, formal worship in the tents and then in, in the temple later, he says, we're going to do some special things. Uh, it really brings out this idea of uh, how are we doing special things for the Lord? Uh, and that's what cracks me up when, when people um, complain about Christmas or have um, problems with Christmas, whether it's too much of this or too much of that or not enough for this. I, I want to ask the question, yeah, but what what are you doing? And is it special for the Lord? Are you doing something that you're setting aside for God? Hey, we take off work, we buy gifts, we spend time with family, we make uh, dishes that we don't make at other times of the year, we spend a bunch of time on things we don't normally do. Now, do are we constantly thinking about Jesus as we're doing these things? Probably not. But the whole of the event is meant to draw us back in. Draw us back into what? That we're meant to be anointed? Right? Let's keep going this, with this anointing oil. Uh, verse 26. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the tabernacle and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin and its stand. Wait, did anything get left out? We're anointing everything with this special anointing oil. 
hmm, do you kind of get what's going on here? What does it feel like? How much belongs to God? All of it? When we get into the temple or we get into the tent, it's all his. And there's something about walking around and having to anoint all these different things and go through the, the work of the recipe and mixing it and all that stuff, gathering all the resources. And then once you finally have the oil, just going through and anointing all these different things. What are you now spending a lot, a lot of time, energy, and money on? Setting stuff aside for God or recognizing that God is special, his things are special, and probably it should beg the question, am I special? Am I part of that? Is God the only one that's anointed? Or if he is, do I get to be part of that relationship? It's fascinating that the, the Magi come in and they say, here, we're going to give you gold and, gold and frankincense, but we're going to give you myrrh for sure. Because we know there's something going on with the anointing. There's, there's a consecration thing going on. There's a holiness, something beyond us, bigger than us, above us, uh, that makes sense, that actually works, and we've got to draw ourselves into that because normally what we draw ourselves in is to me and mine. Give me, give me, give me. God says, uh, we're playing a little bit different game than that. In fact, a lot different game with that. Uh, I, I think it's great that you have to anoint all these different things. And then verse 29, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. Ooh, interesting. Anything that touches them becomes holy. I gave myrrh to Jesus. I wonder if it was symbolic that he was going to be consecrated and anointed. It says anything that touches this oil, this anointing oil, Becomes holy. Wow. I seem to remember several thousand years later, uh, Jesus walking and a lady reaching out and touching his garment and instantly healed. Anything that touches him becomes holy. Oh, maybe that's just totally coincidence. What do you think? I doubt it. I doubt very seriously that God does coincidence unless he's meant to grab your attention and draw you into the fact that, hey, look, we're going to do something different in my temple. We're going to do something different in my tent of meeting. You're going to do something different with myrrh and this anointing oil. You're going to do it for all generations so that when Jesus walks on the scene and then people come up and just touch him, they become instantly healed and you go, whoa, wait a minute, what just happened? Did they just become holy? Wasn't there something like that? Oh, yeah, I do remember. Anything that was in the temple that was anointed, if anybody touched it, they were to become holy. And it begs the question, was Jesus anointed and consecrated, set aside to be most holy? The symbolism is wonderful there. Uh, in fact, it gives us our first full in, uh, fill-in for the morning. Uh, we have a little set-up sentence for all of our fill-ins this morning. You know, myrrh was used to. And uh, the first thing that you want to know is that myrrh was used to consecrate and anoint uh, 
for holiness. To, to put, set things aside and say, this is going to be special unto the Lord and God's going to do something great with this. Uh, they hand this uh, same myrrh, the, the major ingredient, they give that to Jesus when he's born. And now I want to ask you the question that we'll have, we might have to wait and, and get answered formally when we get to heaven, but I'm pretty sure you know the answer. Was Jesus meant to be consecrated and holy, and is that why he was given myrrh? And then, or maybe, was he going to be the one that consecrated and anointed everybody else? and made everybody else holy so that anybody who came in contact with him will become holy. Or then, as we like to say, maybe it's both. But it's really interesting how myrrh, used in the temple for a very specific reason, was one of the gifts that to this day we're reading stories about we're supposed to set things aside for God. Mm, could one of those things be you? I mean, I just asked the question, was, was Jesus going to be the one that consecrated and anointed people like us? The question is, are, are you set aside for the Lord? Are you special to the Lord? Are you making an effort? And how are you doing that? Uh, it's a great reminder I, I would say anything that we do in this holiday season that draws other people in and makes them feel special probably is pushing us in the direction of consecration, of anointing. And are we Jesus? No, absolutely not. And we never will be. And can we consecrate and anoint the same way he can? No, we can't. But can we be part of that little bit of kingdom work? Can we push in that direction? Can we lean towards it? Make an effort. Try. I think that's what the Magi were doing. I think when the wise men showed up and they said, here, uh, we're not really sure what we're doing. We're from a foreign land. We've heard all these stories and these prophecies, but we're, we're just going to try here. Here's some gold, some frankincense, and some myrrh. That was them trying to step into the consecration, into the anointing. You know, I... You can experience that today, too. Some of you have done things where in the midst of it or right after it, you step back and you say to yourself, wow, there was something more going on there than I realized. God must have been at work. That was amazing. Did you see what happened? Did you hear? Wow, I feel, I think so much differently now. That's what we're looking for. I think that's what the Magi were looking for. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. It's one of the reasons. Because myrrh was used for, to consecrate and anoint with holiness, for holiness, that is. Um, one of the other places that, or things that you can see about myrrh um, is that it was used um, for, for like pain relief. It was kind of like a fun little additive you would put in stuff when you wanted to feel better or maybe you wanted to get healing. Or maybe you wanted to just numb yourself a little bit, or you want to accentuate your senses. In fact, 
Number one place that myrrh is mentioned in the Bible is uh, Song of Solomon. Big love story. I keep talking about how they're going to have myrrh here and there in this love relationship. Seven different times at least mentioned there. You know, we see that too. Um, we see that with Jesus in Mark chapter 15. There's a little story. And, and now we're, we've stepped all the way past Christmas and into Easter. In fact, Mark chapter 15, you're, pretty much, you're getting towards the end of the book. And uh, Jesus is uh, uh, on the cross and he's being crucified. And, you know, this is the dark part of the story when it comes to Easter. And, and Mark accounts this little quick story and mentions myrrh. And it's, it's really kind of unique, I think, important, significant for us to know. Let's look at um, Mark uh, chapter 15, it's, uh, verse 22 through 24. Uh, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Ooh, that sounds dark. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Not just wine. Wine mixed with myrrh. Why? They saw him on the cross. They knew he was in pain. They knew he was suffering. They knew he was injured. And they thought, well, the myrrh will help with that. Ease the pain. The wine. A little uh, moisture, hydration. He's probably getting dried out. Probably a little taste. Distract him from what's going on. And, and who knows? A little uh, alcohol content might numb some of the things that are going on there. But apparently wine wasn't good enough by itself. We're going to put some myrrh in there also. It's very common for them to, to do myrrh when people were sick. It was used for medicinal purposes and things like that. They offered him this wine with myrrh, but he did not take it. Why not? A lot of people want to say, make some rule about alcohol because of that. And I would say those people are missing the point. I would say the majority of the reason he didn't do that is because he wanted to have the full experience on the cross. It wasn't about the wine, and it definitely wasn't going to be about the myrrh. I'm not going to numb my senses. I'm not going to relieve, relieve the pain. I'm going to feel the full of what's actually going on here. And I'm not going to, be, I'm not going to have any of my wounds healed and then attributed because I took to, to some medicine. If I'm healed in the place of the skull, where it's as dark as it gets, the government's turned against me, my friends have betrayed me, they're crucifying me. If I get better, if I walk through this, if I come out of this on the other side, it won't be because I drank something or ate something or had anything in my system. If I come through this, you're going to have to come up with another reason for how I made it. I just absolutely love that. Uh, myrrh's not going to help me. No foreign substance is going to help me on this. I'm enough substance in and of myself as son of God that I can, I can walk through this. I can handle, give me your worst. I can handle it. Love that. Uh, he did not take it, verse 24. And they crucified, divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, and decided what each should take. And they try to give him wine and, and uh, myrrh. He doesn't take it. And then the soldiers turn around and start taking his stuff. And, and what's it look like? It looks like death. And yet, 
Was he healed? Absolutely. Did he get better? Absolutely. You know, uh, myrrh was used to, second fill in here, myrrh was used to relieve pain and promote healing. And he didn't take the myrrh. He took it at Christmas, right? He couldn't help it. He's just an infant, and the, the Magi give him this myrrh gift. But on the cross at, at Golgotha, when offered relief from pain and, and healing, I think there was a little bit of him that was really feeling the irony. Oh, you want to offer me healing and relief from pain? No, that's my job. I relieve healing. I relieve pain. I'm more myrrh than myrrh itself. I don't need myrrh right now. You need me. I think it's absolutely fascinating that he rejects the myrrh in the wine right there. Uh, great little interesting side note. It kind of ties Christmas and Easter together on a whole different level. Didn't know that myrrh was in both stories. Right? Maybe you didn't know that before today. Um, but I think it's great that we see myrrh for consecration and anointing, and we find out, well, that's actually something that Jesus does for us in his death on the cross and how he solves sin and his projection of love to us, grace and forgiveness. He says, I appreciate the myrrh gift as a child, but really, I'm more myrrh than myrrh itself. I know how to set things aside, make them special, make them holy. And I know how to heal things. I know how to relieve pain. Uh, can he relieve your pain today? Can he heal you from whatever's going on? That's a great question. I think the gifts at Christmas actually speak to who Christ is, not what Christ needed, right? We give gifts. We give gifts, right? Why do we give gifts? Oh, I need a new backpack, you know, or whatever. It projects a need, and somehow it's going to meet a need. It's absolutely ironic that anybody would ever give God a gift. Why? Because he doesn't need anything. You give, you give gifts as a projection of worship, as a statement as to who they are. In that sense, the three gifts make total sense. I'm not giving this to you because you need gold. I'm not giving this because you need a sacrifice or you need to get better at your worship. I'm going to give this to you because you need to be healed or you have too much pain. No, I give you all these things so that others will see that you are the source and solution for all the stuff mentioned, all the symbolism. It's absolutely fascinating. Lastly, uh, we get a story in John chapter 19. And uh, Joseph of Arimathea shows up on the scene. Uh, Jesus has been crucified, and, he, and he's been buried. Uh, and now it's, it's time to figure out, like, what do you do? we gotta, we got to go put the body in the tomb. And uh, here comes Joseph of Arimathea, and, uh, and Myrrh's going to show up in this story, too. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had uh, come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. 
about 75 pounds in weight. We're kind of a little bit late to bring Jesus a gift, isn't it? He's dead. Well, most of you would say, well, Scott, that's not, he wasn't bringing him a gift. He was getting the body ready for burial, right? Myrrh represented death on some level. If you're going to have a burial, you're going to have a tomb, you're going to make a little mixture, you're going to put a bunch of myrrh in it, and you're going to uh, wrap them up, you're going to rub this concoction all over, and, and now the body's ready. It's, it'll smell good, it'll preserve the body, the whole thing. And, uh, and what happened? So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. I have to believe that the wise men had no idea that they were clueless about how Jesus was going to be related to burial. Uh, the burial would never be the same. That they were giving a gift like myrrh that represented death to the one who would conquer death. It's just an absolutely fascinating story to me. Because Jesus not only uh, is kind of, it's kind of foreseen that he's going to die and giving him a myrrh as a baby child. I mean, I, I mean, as the dad, somebody shows up and gives my kid myrrh. I'm going to, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this, is this for consecration or anointing? Or is it because you want him to be free of pain? Or are you trying to say something else about death for my kid, right? I mean, that could be very offensive. And yet Jesus, Jesus grows up, uh, has all those experiences in the gospel that we see with the disciples, and then goes to the cross and walks into death. Uh, and it says, no painkiller for me. I'm already consecrated and anointed. I'm going to walk into death. I'm going to walk into sin. I'm going to walk into all of this burial. And then I'm going to walk out. It's, it's great symbolism. You know, all three of these things, they really, they, they, they beg the question, it, doesn't Jesus represent those things more than those things themselves? And, and if he does, it begs the next question. What does Jesus want to do? What does Jesus offer you when it comes to anointing, healing, and death? He offers you a, a victory over death, victory over sin. He offers you healing and, and take away pain. He says you can be anointed as well. And, and offers that to all of us. I think it's one of the great things in the Bible to see these, these wise men show up and give these specific three gifts. And it might not have been that exciting for a little kid, right? You had a Christmas where you, where you got gifts and you started opening them and going, what? Socks? Oh, well, <laughs> open the next thing, what? A sweater? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Open another. Oh, cologne? I want something fun, right? And you give that to kids, and they want toys and whatnot. And yet, socks and sweaters and cologne, things that, are, that you might need more than toys. 
might not make sense right at the moment, but later, as you go through life, when you have real needs, they're much more valuable. We're going to find that to be true of the fourth gift of Christmas that we're going to cover on Thursday night. This Jesus that as you go along, you might think at first, eh, I don't know, Jesus, I need something more, something different, something better, something more fun, less restrictive, whatever. But as you spend time, you start to figure out, oh, no, 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 that's exactly what I needed. And I had no idea. How are you anointed and anointing other people? You have Jesus, all these things. Shouldn't you be them as well? Shouldn't we be the example of Christ? If he's anointed, anointing, and he's doing it for you, shouldn't you be in the process of helping other people come to a relationship with him where they could be set apart for him, they could be special for him, they could be most holy? It's a great question. How is he healing you? How is he removing your pain? And then how are you doing that for other people? And then when it comes to death and burial, how worried are you about that? How worried are you about that for other people? How are you helping people prepare for that or avoid it? Understand it? And then how are we getting people uh, in contact with the one who is in control of all things death? You know, I really feel like if you have a relationship with the Lord, it absolutely changes your view of life and death. It absolutely changes your fear of it because you realize there's something bigger than it. There's something bigger than Christmas. Amen? There's Jesus. Anything we do should draw our attention back to that. Anything we do should draw others' people attention back to Christ. Let's find ways to do that. Amen? Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the, uh, the symbolism and the stories, the characters. I uh, pray, Lord, that you would give us symbolism in our own life. You give us our own stories, our own characters, our, our own relationships. I pray, Lord, that you would help us when it comes to being set apart for you. Pray, Lord, that, uh, that all we look at makes us ask the question, what child is this? That question that the Magi asked, they came up, what, what child is this? We thank you for the places that it led them. Pray, Lord, we'd ask the same question, that you would lead us to different places as well. Lord, we thank you for this season, the opportunities that we have. Help us to see them, take advantage of them. Help us to be loving and examples of you. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.